Good morning. And good morning to everyone who is tuning in online. We're glad that you're with us. Um, how many of you know that church is not simply to uh, attend or to make you feel good or to change necessarily something you're doing, but church is actually to connect you with the creator of the universe? Yeah? So, you know, you might be there and you're going, man, Catherine, like, went for it this morning. Some of you might not have seen worship like that. Or even if you're online, you might not have seen worship like that. But what we really want to do here at Saltbox is we actually want to create an environment, not where you're entertained or not where this is necessarily fun. Those are great things. Um, but where you actually connect with the Creator God, King Jesus, and you begin a personal um, and significant relationship with Him, and you can actually open your Bible or start to pray or turn on some worship, and you can begin to engage with Him in a daily way. Does that make sense? That's the heart here. So church is so much more than a, a corporate gathering or a celebration. It is, that's true, and that's right. But we actually want to equip you sort of with tools in your tool belt so that you can walk with Him. And you may, if you've never experienced deep and significant worship, you may actually want to, uh, the next time you're in a mental or emotional or spiritual crisis or facing some difficulty or you're grumping about this or you're fussing over here about that or you're angry about this or impatient about something, you may actually want to turn on some worship and actually reorient your heart away from the thing you're looking at onto King Jesus. Yeah, that's right. Because that's what worship is like, a conduit of heaven, and you can actually get your eyes off of the funkiness that you're looking at and onto Him. And guess what? He's the one that changes. He's the one that delivers us from our circumstances. He's the one that makes all the difference when you shift that gaze to Him. Yeah? Amen. Somebody talk to me. All right. Come on. Okay. We are, let's see, I had one more thing I wanted to say. Um, fastest growing church in the world. Anybody know where it is? It may have just surpassed uh, China and Iran. I don't know. I don't know. But it has been historically China and Iran, one and two. Why? Persecution. Now, why is it that when the church is persecuted, it explodes? A, a lot of the people who've come to Christ, either in China or Iran, are actually now missionaries in Afghanistan. Fascinating. I was on a call this week listening to first-hand stories of people who've given their life to Christ for the first time this week in Afghanistan. Now listen to me. There's a lot of Christians across this great nation right now, and we're wringing our hands, and we're vexing, and we're freaking out. What's happening? I want to say, be at peace. Because the God of the universe loves us too much, and He has set too much in place to, to not, not only know and understand what is happening, but when things get difficult, He shows up. And as things get dark or difficult, King Jesus will show up in such a way that we will suddenly see the church actually take off in America and become the church again because we've grown cold and lazy, Amen. me included. Amen? Amen? All right, so here we are. We're going to open the Word. We're going to ask the Lord Jesus to convict us. In fact, say with me, Lord, convict me. Lord, would you speak to me? Lord, would you fill me? And Lord, would you change me? Amen. Okay, 
We are in Exodus, and I'm going to dip back into 17, just a hair, because there's something there that I, I want to pick up on. I think it's very important. Um, and then we're going to look at two little chunks there. Then we're going to get into 18. And then next week, we're going to look at chapter 19. The week after that, we're going to look at 20, which is the Ten Commandments. The next two weeks are pretty amazing, scripturally. Um, and we're going to tie them in, old and new. And then we're going to take a look at our lives, and we're just going to mess up our hair if you have any. Yeah? Okay. A um, couple of fundamental truths that I want to sort of do a flyover as we're, as we're looking at this entire book of Exodus. Um, the, the Israelite people are now navigating through the desert, and who can remember what they're following? Yep, yep, cloud by day, which fire by night, that's exactly right. Um, so it is like easy and unmistakable to follow God, isn't it, in their case? There's the pillar, I stay. The pillar moves, I move. There's the fire, I stay. Oh, the fire's moving, I... Now, you know, I would actually want to propose to you that following the Lord um, and listening to the Lord is much simpler, and I think he makes it much more clear to us than we give him credit for. The problem, I would propose to you, is more likely uh, our own disagreement and argument with what God's calling us to do. Yeah? Let me give you an example, personal example. Um, I remember our, our uh, senior leadership team and then a bunch of uh, volunteers, we came and stood right here in the middle of this building, right there. And they liked it. And guess what I thought? Come on, somebody give, it, give me a guess. I'm not doing this. I don't like this. God makes his will and his way so plain to us. The issue is not, is it plain? The issue is, are you in an argument with him? It's very simple to follow the Lord. Some of you are going, uh-uh, Michael. Get your will out of the way. Get your agenda out of the way. Get your idea out of the way. Lay it all down, and you begin to say, Lord, speak to me and lead me. And guess what? This Jesus will speak, and he will lead. The question is, will we follow? Okay, fundamental truth number two. Uh, after being redeemed... By the blood of the Lamb. So the Israelites were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, right? Over the doorpost. We read through that, talked through that. Um, they obey, and they keep walking into one life-threatening trap after another. The Red Sea. No water. No food. No water again, right? <clears throat> Did uh, the enemy um, lead them into the wilderness? No. Did their own sin... And disobedience lead them into the wilderness. All right, who led them into the wilderness? God. God. Make application. If you're in a wilderness, God may have led you there. And he's got purpose in it. He wants to meet you in it. He wants to speak to you through it. He's going to shape and chisel you in it. And then he's going to bring you out of it victorious. But not until you bow your knee and go, yes, Lord, I'll be in the wilderness. Anybody read Pilgrim's Progress? A few people? I think it's a fabulous book. It's an old school book. I think it's one of the most sold books other than the Bible and the history of all the world, I think. Um, I would recommend you read it if you haven't. Um, and what, what uh, the, the author actually gets here, it's kind of John Bunyan, but what he gets is that the Christian life is a journey, and it's a journey through the wilderness. 
And two guys start out at the beginning of the book, one guy named Christian and one guy named Pliable. Guess what happens to Pliable? Gonzo, he hits the eject button. This is a journey. Make no mistake, though, church, that nothing ever touches us except by God's determination in accordance with his will and way in order to achieve his purpose in our lives and on the earth. He loves us too much, and he's too kind and gracious of a father for it to be otherwise. Amen? You can rest assured what you're going through. He has allowed. The question is, Lord, for what purpose? And how do you want me to respond to it? And how do I navigate through it? Another fundamental truth as we fly over the book of Exodus. One of the hallmarks of genuine faith is perseverance. There's no such thing as untested faith. If your faith has not yet been tested, it's not real. Write it down. Make a note. There is no such thing as untested faith. Faith becomes real under the fire of test and adversity. We're going to see here in two different cases in just a minute that God is determined to achieve total victory over his enemies. Praise Jesus. The question is when, where, and how. And sometimes we disagree with that. The other thing that I want to um, probably point out here, and I, I haven't touched on this a ton, but I want to at least acknowledge it, is there is a whole bunch of, um, you, in, in like seminary world, is Tim Livingston in here? I always do this. There he is. He's in seminary right now. In seminary world, um, you, you, uh, you would actually say there's um, more conservative biblical scholars and more liberal biblical scholars. And more liberal scholars look at all that's happening in this book of Exodus and they, go, they say things like this. Well, it really wasn't a miracle that water came from the rock because there's this huge underground stream of like water canals that are connected at the, at the base of the desert. And so it just came from the rock. And then they say things like, well... Um, the manna, there's like a, a um, not, excuse me, not manna, but the, the quail, there's a migratory pattern of these birds that goes right through the desert, and the birds get all worn out during the day, and guess when they land? About twilight to roost for the night or to camp out for the night, and they're so worn out that you can go out and just grab them. And so they go, so that's just another you know, kind of coincidence. And then they'd say things like, um, the manna, um, is actually uh, from a little aphid. There's actually a rabbi that teaches this, and I don't necessarily disagree with it. I'm coming all, all the way around to this. But there's a, a little aphid that eats on the plants in the desert, and then the aphid lands on the desert floor, and it dries and becomes this little white globule that tastes like honey, and the Bedouins apparently have eaten them for centuries. So there's, there's a, a more liberal uh, way of thinking and looking at some of this, and they've explained a lot of it away, um, a lot of the miraculous away, through um, more natural events. Now, I want to I give you something, and I want to say, um, not either or, both and. Here's why. This is a creator God, and if the creator God from the beginning of the universe said, I am going to direct a stream of water and place it beneath this rock because I know that my kids are going to be backed into a corner and they have no water to drink and no food to eat, and I'm going to have Moses come out and strike that rock and that spring is going to gush forward, then that's a creator God who in his foreknowledge knew and out of his great love for his people when I'm going to plant water there. Yeah. It's no less miraculous 
So is it, was it purely miraculous? Was it his foreknowledge from the beginning of creation? I'm not sure that it matters because the point is, either way, it illustrates that a creator God loves us, knows us, calls us, and he knew that his kids would be in a bind at that place, at that time, in that moment. Yeah? Do quail migrate through the desert there in, in, in uh, Israel and then that whole area of the Middle East? Yes. Do they land at twilight? Yes. Who directed the migratory pattern of quail at the beginning of time? My Jesus. You see what I'm saying? So I don't listen to necessarily a liberal uh, theologian and go, okay, we throw it out. I go, yeah, maybe I agree with you. Okay, well, that proves he's a loving God and a loving Father because he actually provided what they need before they got there. Now, come on. Here's the application. You ready? Dylan, you ready? He has provided for you what you need for the crisis you're in before you ever even got there. Can you trust and obey in the middle of the crisis? That's going to be the question. Because this is the God that from eternity past created the earth and looked down on this desert and went, they're going to need water there and they're going to camp here and they're going to need meat to eat and I'm going to bring quail and maybe it's this little funky aphid bug that I'm going to send that's going to become manna but whatever it is and however you navigate it this is the God that provides this is the God that meets us this is the God that knows where we are before we ever get there and this is the God who wants to meet you in it come on, somebody say praise Jesus alright Okay, should we start reading? We were just getting started. All right, we're just getting started. Here we go. That was the flyover. All right, we're going to start in chapter 17. I'm going to backtrack to verse 5 of 17, okay? Um, let's just read. The Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff... Remember, that's a little wooden, cudgel, unimpressive thing that he delivered the people with from the mightiest army on earth. An old man and a stick. I love who God picks to use. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. As we read today, I want you to notice something, and especially if you were here, uh, Rick um, pointed this out to me before the service, and I thought it was so good. I got to make note of this. But um, if you were here when we did Exodus 5, um, I, I actually looked at God said certain things to Moses, and Moses went and did not those things. He disobeyed and he made a huge mess. And it's actually worth your time to go back and listen to that message because we compared and contrasted what God said in chapter 3 and what Moses actually did in chapter 5 and the mess it made. Now, here's what I want you to see as we watch Moses through this. When God speaks, Moses does it. There's almost no delineation between the thoughts um, in Moses' it seems in his own heart and what he actually says to the people and what God is speaking and saying. In other words, he has gotten to the point where he is so contrite and humble before God, where he's going every single moment, not my will, but your will. And when God speaks, he goes out and speaks. Exactly what God says. Okay, back to it. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. 
And he called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? Now, we're going to go New Testament for just a second because I'm convinced this is the way you should understand the old. All right, I'm going to 1 Peter 2. If you're scrolling, scroll away. If you're flipping, you're going to all the New Testament, the very back of the New Testament. 1 Peter 2, and I'm going to read verses 4 and 5. 1 Peter 2, verses 4 and 5. This is Peter writing, the Apostle Peter. I love Peter. He was a fiery-tempered disaster. I like him. All right, uh, 1 Peter 2, verses 4 and 5. As you come to him, the living stone. Say living stone. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by human beings, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, say living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, who is uh, in that passage? You've got living stone capitalized. Who is the living stone? Jesus. Now, who are the living stones, plural? Okay. Let's go back to our Exodus verse. Go out. Take the staff in your hand. Oh, let me keep going. And strike the rock at Horeb. Who's the living stone? All right. You've got... Two million people, give or take. You've got livestock. You've got all sorts of people that need water. I can't imagine. They've gone two or three days without water. They're, they're on the verge of dehydration in the desert. Um, there's probably a few of us in this room that have ever gone without water for two or three days. And uh, all of a sudden, this rock is struck, and out comes water. And you can just imagine the people just gathering around. It must have been a small stream or even a river that begun, begins to flow out of this rock. So the livestock is coming up, children are coming up, adults are coming up. Everyone is gathering around to literally grab this water, put it in containers, and everyone is drinking, right? Okay, who is... Now, so the water is gushing out of the rock. Who is the living stone? King Jesus. Who is called to become living stones? Raise your hand. All right, here's the way it works. You come to Christ Jesus when you recognize that you are a dried up, baked, you know, worthless, I can't do anything by them. You come to this point where you go, I'm in the desert, I can't do anything on my own, and I'm going to surrender my life to you, the living stone, and out, out gushes this water, and you drink, and you're refreshed. And then he actually calls us to become living stones. So wherever you go, whatever you do, you are actually called to become a living stone that actually uh, sends water out for people around you to drink. Everyone around you right now and in all the history of the world, but right now especially, is in some sort of crisis and difficulty. And we have an opportunity to actually um, become the likeness of King Jesus and become living stones that are gushing that same water. Follow me? All right, let's take a quick look at something Jesus said in John 7, verse 38. John 7, verse 38. Here's what he said. I hear everybody flipping, so I'm going to wait. If you're scrolling, scroll. I love the paper Bible flip. Way to go. Okay. 
John 7, 38, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Say that with me. Rivers of living water will flow from within them. One, two, three. All right, you get this imagery of the people of God in the desert, and he is allowing them to get to this point on the heels of this huge victory at the Red Sea. They get to this point where they are going to die of dehydration. They are going to die because they don't have water. And all of a sudden, the living stone appears on the horizon, and they gather around it. And can you imagine Moses and the grumbling that was going on in the camp when they meant, this busted old dude is going to go up and beat a rock in the desert with a stick? Can you imagine? You're dying of thirst, and he's going to go whack a rock with a stick. Now, come on, people. You'd have kicked him out and said, I'm not following you anymore, you busted old man, wouldn't you? And then the water gushed, and you went, oh. And the fear of God and the revelation of his love washes over you, and you drink, and your soul is refreshed. And then you're called to become a living stone. Everywhere we are, if you're in middle school, if you're in high school, if you're in college, if you're working a job, if you're standing in line talking to somebody at Walmart, we are called to become living stones. And if Jesus is in us, and if you are filled with the power of the Lord Jesus and filled with the Holy Spirit, then rivers of living water are going to rise up and flow out of you. Say me. Rivers of living water. It's like when Jesus is in you, he flows out. You become the living stone everywhere you're planted. That's the gospel. That's what living Jesus is about. That's what ministry is about. I actually which most would like for most people not to be in full-time Christian work, but rather be unpaid Christians out there who are living stones making a difference where they're planted. We become those people who carry the living water. We become living stones, and that living water flows from within us. Where does your hope come from? Where does your peace come from? People will look at you and go, man, you're different. Yeah? Okay. Let's keep going. Chapter 17 in Exodus, verse 8. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Now, you got your kids with you? You got your sheep with you? You got your goat with you? You got your tents with you, maybe your camel with you and your donkey. I don't know what all you got. You got it all with you. You got your pots and pans. You got your little backpack on. You got your cart you're pulling. I don't know how you're moving your family, but you're moving your family. And all of a sudden up comes an army of people and they want you dead. What are you doing? It's probably mass chaos, total freak out. Some people are running, some are hiding. They're getting attacked. They don't even, we don't even go into that. Verse 9, Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men. Uh, notice here, though, that Joshua rides into the scene. Anybody know who, who succeeds Moses as leader of Israel? Joshua. And I want you to just notice, as we go through this, the way God begins to shape Joshua. This is brilliant. The way God makes a woman or makes a man and shapes a woman or shapes a man when he's called them into ministry is a fascinating thing to look at. So Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. You think Joshua laughed at him? 
I'm going to go stand on a hill with a stick. Great. Or perhaps, perhaps by this time, the fear of the Lord has taken hold on the people, and they're like, okay, maybe, maybe God's going to deliver us with the old guy on the stick. I'm being a little silly here, but come on, y'all. Can you imagine? The old guy on a stick is going up to stand on a mountain, and that's going to help us in the face of getting run over by chariots and an army that's marching down. They're going to kill our kids and take our goats and kill our sheep and kill our camels, and we're going to lose everything. And you're going to stand on a mountain? Tomorrow I will go and stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, with Aaron and Hur, two other old guys, went up to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses grew tired, they took a stone and put it under his backside, and he sat on it. And then Aaron held up one hand, and Hur held up the other, so that his hands would remain steady until sunset. So you get this idea from, from dawn to sunset, from sunrise to sunset, this is all going on. And it says, so Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, now I love this, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure Joshua hears it. Ooh, Joshua's training begins. Because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. That's uh, Lord, capital uh, L-O-R-D here is Yahweh in Hebrew. English would translate it Jehovah. So the Lord is my banner is uh, Jehovah Nisi. Um, And he said, because... Uh, hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord. The Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. Okay. Who won the, who won the battle? Okay. Let's play it out from a few different angles, though, and fuss about it a minute, okay? All right. Moses says, I held up my hands. I won that battle. Because every time I dropped my hands, what happened? They were losing. That means their guys were dying. Like, they don't talk about that here. They don't talk about the mourning that happened after this. But there were people that would have lost their lives in this. So Moses is going, well, every time I lift my hands, battle's being won. Her might be standing there going, well, if I hadn't held your arm up. Aaron's standing there going, if I hadn't held your other arm up. And then you got young Joshua. What are young guys given to? Come on, somebody be honest with me and shoot straight. Testosterone, okay, what else? Impulsivity, okay, what else? Pride. Pride. Who won the battle with the sword? So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. I would suggest to you that God had Moses write this down so Joshua doesn't start thinking he's a hot shot that won this. Yeah? Uh, this isn't just true of young guys, by the way. This is also true of young gals. Because you get out there, all of us, we get out there and you experience some success and you start going, pretty good. I won the battle! Look at me! Yeah? 
But what you begin to see here is actually a multi-generational body of Christ effect taking hold. So in other words, if Moses isn't holding up his hands, then Joshua's losing down in the field. If her and Aaron aren't there to hold up Moses' hands, he's gotten tired. Have you ever held your hands up all day long? 12 hours, 13 hours, it's 120 degrees at the top of this hill. Have you ever even been in 120 degree weather? I went through Death Valley once, so it's 120 degrees. And we had an 18-month-old, our 18-month-old with us. And we couldn't even get her out of the car, it was so hot. We were afraid she was going to not be able to drink enough and shrivel up. And we were like, don't even get her out of the car. Moses is at the top of a hill, it's 120 degrees, and how could he even hold his hands up for 12 hours? The youngest, strongest one of us in the room couldn't do it. But what you begin to see is this beautiful intergenerational or multi-generational body of Christ, and God looks at these three older gentlemen and he says, go to the top of the hill. And he looks at Joshua and says, take some guys with the sword and go fight the army. Now, what if the young guys went, I'm too scared. I want to go to the top of the hill. Or what if the old guys said, I want to be where the action is. Listen to me. Most of us spend way too much time in our Christian lives wishing we were somewhere other than where God has called us to be. But the power of God and the presence of God and the favor of God is most evident in our lives when you obey him and go where he has said to go. Moses can no more uh, dishonor Joshua for what he did any more than Joshua can dishonor Moses for what he did. It took both. It took all four of them, and it also took the army that rallied around Joshua, and then the people being faithful back at camp not to just run and hide, because remember, you got babies and camels and sheep and goats and the whole thing, right? So it takes this, this entire body of Christ, and you actually begin to see the New Testament parallel um, to the Old Testament sort of body of Christ coming together. You see it in action. There is probably no limit to what God can do in and through your life if you're willing to give Him credit. There's likely no limit to what God can do in and through your life if you're willing to give the people around you credit. And if you're grabbing credit for yourself, he's probably going to put a brick wall in front of you and you're going to smack right into it. And I would actually suggest that had this not been written down, I think God was protecting Joshua from becoming an arrogant young upstart who thought he was stronger and better and whatever than he was. God protected him, is training him, and preparing him. Oh Lord, can we be a church that bridges the generational divide, that bridges the gender divide, that bridges the racial divides, Lord, can we be a church that comes together as the body of Christ, valuing one another, navigating together in this Jesus journey? All right, we're going to read through 18, and then we're going to celebrate communion. I'm just going to pick parts of 18. <clears throat> Now Jethro, the priest of Midian and the father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything God had done for Moses and the people of Israel and how the Lord had brought, them, uh, brought Israel out of Egypt. The entire known world was abuzz with these um, 
the plagues that had happened, the Red Sea being parted, the entire um, Pharaoh's army is buried beneath the waves of the Red Sea. I mean, the, the entire known world is talking about it. Everybody is saying, look what happened. Look what God did. And so uh, Moses' father-in-law comes, and verse 2 says, after Moses had sent away his wife Zipporah, we don't know when that was, but his father-in-law Jethro received her and her two sons. One son was named Gershom, for Moses said, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. Sounds like a guy who's given up hope. And the other was named Eleazar, for he said, My father's God was my helper and saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. Verse 5, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' sons and wife, came with him in the wilderness where he was camped near the mountain of God. Jethro had sent word to him, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and your two sons. I love verse 7 and verse 8. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him, and they greeted each other and went into the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. You see a couple things here in Moses. I I think one of the things you see is the loneliness of leadership because you know, all of a sudden he's got someone who's coming in from the outside and he's, he's like lighting up. You almost get the idea that he's like a little school guy going, let me tell you about everything that's happened. But I think the other thing that you get is you see the humanity of Moses for a minute. He just wants to celebrate what God's done. And then if you, if you zoom out from the macro perspective on Scripture, Revelation 12, 11 says we overcome Satan, who knows? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. We overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. That means we overcome Satan in our lives by the empowering and by the, by the blood of the Lamb, but we, when we share our testimony, we're actually sharing with people how the blood of the Lamb was activated and changed our life, and they can experience that same change. So Moses is walking through with Jethro going, man, check it out. God did this, and then God did that, and then God did this. He's excited. It says, verse uh, verse 9, Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel, rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh who has uh, rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods. A little short background, but the Midianites believed in one creator God. So Jethro is a Midianite. So insofar as that, they had it right. Um, But it never really went too far beyond that. So they they missed out on a lot of the rest of it, but they did have it right in terms of one creator God. Verse 11, Now I know the Lord is greater than all other gods. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. The next day Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning till evening. And when his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses answered him, because the people come to me to seek God's will. and Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me. I'm going to skip down to verse 17. Jethro replies, what you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. And so he goes on and he actually recommends that he um, puts, uh, verse 21, select capable men from all the people, men who fear God. Um, New Testament would also say men and women. It's another sermon for another day. 
but select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens, and have them serve as judges for the people at all times. Have them bring very difficult cases to you, the simple cases they can decide themselves. Skip down to verse 24. Moses listened to his father-in-law. Isn't it interesting that Moses was teachable? If you want to be a person of influence, if you believe God's called you to significant influence, I think that is one of the most uh, important attributes is to be teachable. Because most of the time when someone knows more than us and they come to correct us, whether they do it in a nice way or a not nice way, we bow up. Don't tell me. Right? You want to be used powerfully by God, you humble yourself not only before him, but before the right people and you become teachable. Verse 25, he chose capable men from all Israel and he made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens, and they served as judges for the people. Verse 27, then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way and Jethro returned to his own country. Now, I read one um, scholar who said, he, I think he took the number two million people and he broke it down by, by the way that it was suggested, thousand, hundreds, fifties, tens. And he said Moses appointed 78,000 some odd people to do the job he was doing. I was one overworked guy. <laughs> if you're feeling overworked right now. Okay. Next week, we're looking at uh, chapter 19. The week after that, we're looking at 20. Um, it's going to be great because we're looking at them through the eyes of Jesus and uh, really, really powerful. Um, listen to me as we head into communion. God wants to take his residence inside of you and make you that living stone. Make you one who gushes with living water. Adam and Catherine, why don't you come back up? Oh, you're already up there. You are just fine. We are not at all worried about that. So be at peace, little one. On the night that, and if you're at home, I'd encourage you to grab some bread and some juice and join us in celebrating communion. But on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was reclining in an upper room with his disciples and he took a loaf of bread and he actually broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Every time you do this, every time you eat of this, and I would say to us, it's more than just the Lord's Supper or communion. It's every time you eat. Eat with the memory that our Jesus went to a cross to pay it all. And through his death and resurrection, we take up residence on the living stone and then we actually become living stones. And then Jesus had wine. Today we just have grape juice and a funny little capsule. But the Lord Jesus would have poured that wine into a cup and he said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. He didn't say, do it full of shame for the things you failed to do. He didn't say, do it full of shame for the things you've done. He actually said, do it remembering him. The Christian life is about taking the body and blood of Christ and appropriating it into your own life. And he makes you new.
That's what it's about. I'm going to say a prayer, and I'm going to change things up on us. We're going to take and eat right now, and then we're going to close in a song. Does that sound good? Um, if you haven't figured this out, there's a little funny wafer on the top, and there's some juice in that little cup. And we'll go back to normal bread and juice once COVID's over. Uh, does anyone n- need one that didn't get one? Anybody? And I also have a gluten-free option. Anybody need gluten-free? I'm going to give it to Tony to give it to anybody, but I don't see anybody. Everybody good? Okay. I think we're good. All right. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you take these common elements and would you set them aside? Father, I can't imagine having sat with you in that upper room as you broke that bread as you poured out that wine. And then I can't imagine having followed you from a distance as you went to that hill and your body was broken and your blood was poured out. But Father, today we get to appropriate that blood and that body into our lives and celebrate the victory that you've given us, remembering not what we've done or failed to do, but remembering what you've done on our behalf and in our place because we've all fallen short. Lord, as we take this today, can we take it remembering price that you paid for our freedom church let's take and eat and let's drink let's stand together and let's worship the lord